0: Father, thank you that you love us so much. Thank you that you give us the gift of life so that we're able to return that to you and offer uh, everything you've created us to be back to you. Father, I sing this song and I'm overwhelmed because if I believe the words, I'm offering my all, my time, my resources, my money, my relationships, my energy, my life, and my heart. And Lord, it sounds good in church. It is so hard to do that moment-to-moment, moment, God. So empower us, give us wisdom, give us direction. In Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated if you stood, and you can applaud if that's where you're at. <laughs> well, a powerful song. Um First service, I was kind of overwhelmed, and I thought I'll have it dialed in by second service. But uh, yep, yeah, here we are. <laughs> uh, speaks to me. Well, we are uh, we are in this series that we've just started called Hope Unleashed, and and this is kind of the year of hope here at Twin Cities Church. As we looked at our prayer, we looked at early series, and and now this concept of be the hope. Christ is the hope. He's given us jobs as a church, as individuals, but hope unleashed is this idea that that we're going with that as people encounter Jesus, both in the Bible days, but that translates to today, hope is unleashed in their lives. And so we're going to be taking a look through the book of John. Uh, really verse by verse, chapter by chapter over the next many weeks and doing a study, uh, understanding what that means to find hope unleashed in Jesus' encounters with people. You could almost call this a, you really could call this a book study of the book of John. And so, um, because we're really going to look, starting today in in chapter 1, verse 35 through the end of the chapter, and then next week, chapter 2, verse 1, we're going to just each week take a section, look at the encounters that Jesus had with different people and see what was that like, What did he do? What hope was unleashed and and what happened and how can that apply to us today? So I share this with you because some of you go, cool, a book study. I like doing that. And and I want to encourage you, though, to bring your Bible. And I know that we print them in your outline and we put them on the screens and we want to make the the words of the Bible available to you. But I also know that when you look at taking your Bible, you're like, I don't need to bring it because it's going to be in the outline and on the screens. But because we're doing this book study, the significant thing here is that you can bring your Bible. We're going to be working through it again, verse by verse, in the next bunch of weeks. And you can underline in your Bible, you can make notes in the sidelines, you know, you can actually do that in your own Bible, you know, write in it, that's okay, God doesn't say that's a no-no, you know, you can write your own thoughts, your own words in there and actually get, you know, tackle almost, I think we're going to, I don't know, get halfway or or, or so through the book of John. So I'd encourage you to bring your Bible, uh, you know, over these next bunch of weeks because we're just like today, we're going to open it, we're not going anywhere else, we're going to stick right to that passage. If you don't have a Bible, we have those bookshelves in the lobby and we encourage you to pick one up, use it in the service and then take it home. We'd love that to be a gift for you um, to have because we'd love to put a Bible in your hands. So there's a little bit of a feel for the series as well as where we're heading now. Today again, we'll be starting in in uh, verse uh, verse 35 of chapter one through 51, and um, Jesus uh, basically has some encounters, some first encounters with some men who would later become four of his. Closest followers, four of the 12 disciples, really maybe five, but one remains nameless, so we're not really going to touch much on him. But uh, I'm going to read this passage in two sections. I'm going to read a section, then we're going to stop and we're going to unpack it a little bit and then deal with the second section. Um, Our unpacking will be any number of things, looking at some language issues, some geography, even, and a number of things really to help us understand what's going on, because this series, again, is going to help us see. As people encounter Jesus, people of all walks of life and all sorts of different situations, they encounter hope and an offer of newness and opportunity, and that will apply to us today. So the idea, the idea that we're considering today is specifically the concept of adventure. What happens when Jesus comes to a person and offers the hope of an adventure, the hope of a change from everything that they know? So the idea of being adventurous speaks to some people, and I'm aware that it doesn't speak as much to others. You may consider yourself the adventurous sort, and you may say, me and adventure were just like this, right, in the process. Well, I want to check your adventure quotient this morning right off the bat with a couple of questions to see where you land on this. So first of all, i ask you, how do you feel, uh, how do you deal with new things? When you're confronted with new things in life, does change and newness make you nervous and kind of, oh, or, or does it energize you? You know things change at home and the job and in, you, in your community, whatever. Next question is, uh, how many of you would skydive if you had the chance? Look around, <laughs> roll your eyes if you need to. Bungee jumping anyone into something like that. How many of you love extreme roller coasters? Some of the same hands are going up several times, and some of the same people are rolling your eyes at those same people that are going up. So but here's another question. How many of you would be willing to do something that made you really uncomfortable? Oops, not so many hands, right? Most of us say, no thanks to that, but that's being adventurous too, you know? Braving the unknown, the uncomfortable, as long as it's for a good cause, it's for a good purpose, and I didn't, I didn't state that, but right off the bat, what was your response when you heard something uncomfortable? Okay, wait a second, roller coasters, bungees, yeah, that other stuff, no way. So I ask a few questions, and we find out pretty easily that some of us are way more adventurous than others. And and I want to say this. This is not a measurement of good and bad. You know, adventurous is good if you're not adventurous. It's most likely primarily the way God made you, okay? Unless you're living in one of the extremes, like super, super extreme, adventurous, crazy, that's not healthy, Or super, super, I have to hide in a closet because the world's a scary place, you know. So the extremes are not healthy. But all this area in between is primarily the way God made you. And so I want to make sure when we talk about adventure this morning that you understand that this is not, ooh, good if you're an adventurous spirit. And if not, you're kind of a wimp. Okay? That's not it. God made you the way that you are inherently, right? We want to discover that and live that. So for me, I thought about it. I'm not the crazy bungee kind of guy. Not going to do it. Okay, that's just not me, but I do have—I do run towards the adventurous in s- s- some significant ways. I'm usually the first one to jump off the rocks into the icy, colder river. You know, hopefully it's cold enough that you won't bounce off the ice, kind of thing. But let's just kind of go for it, you know. And if it's a major hailstorm, you're usually going to find me out in it. In fact, a number of times here at church, I look out the window and hail starts coming, and it's hard, and I'm like, "Yeah!" And I, I just go run outside because you know, just the pl- just the adventure of getting hit by things from the sky. Now I sound crazy, don't I? (laughs) And you're nodding your heads. But some of that, and kind of some of the adventurous stuff, that's that's a part of my life and the things that appeal to me. Okay. Regardless, all of us, I believe, have some capacity for adventure, and I believe that God created that in us, at least a piece. And again, I say that today because today's talk is for all of you, no matter where you land on the adventurous or unadventurous scale. You see, one of the best adventure stories I believe ever written revolves around a very unadventurous guy. And maybe he'll remind you of yourself a little bit. I want to watch a short video clip from The Hobbit. Just let me sit quietly for a moment. You've been sitting quietly for far too long. Tell me, when did Doyle's and your mother's dishes become so important? I remember a young hobbit who was always running off in search of elves in the woods. He'd stay out late, come home after dark, trailing mud and twigs and fireflies. A young hobbit who would have liked nothing better than to find out what was beyond the borders of the Shire. The world is not in your books and maps. It's out there. I can't just go running off into the blue. I am a Baggins of Bagend. You are also a Took. Did you know that your great-great-great-great-uncle, Bullroar Took, was so large he could ride a real horse? Yes, well, he could. In the Battle of Green Fields, he charged the goblin ranks. He swung his club so hard it knocked the goblin king's head clean off and it sailed a hundred yards through the air and went down a rabbit hole. And thus the battle was won. And the game of golf invented at the same time. I do believe you made that up. <laughs> well, all good stories deserve embellishment. You'll have a tale or two to tell of your own when you come back. Can you promise that I will come back? No. And if you do so that's what i thought sorry gandalf i can't sign this you've got the wrong hobbit so if bilbo s- stays stuck in that place it's a very short movie <laughs> you know he changes his mind, and off he goes into the process. Bilbo responds to the call, ultimately becomes an adventure, and, and his life is never the same. I think we'll see that the call today from Jesus is bigger than the movies, you know what I mean? In scope, and in content, and in possibilities. So I want to see today, let's take a look at our passage, how these men then respond and then test ourselves a little bit as well. So let's begin uh, John chapter 1, verse 35. I'll start reading from there. I'll read this passage and then we'll, we'll pause. It says this, the next day, again, John, and this is John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. Well, the two disciples heard him say this and they turned and followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Jesus said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So I want to pause right there and I want to break this down a little bit. It's a, it's a passage maybe you've heard before, maybe you haven't, but there's a, there's a lot going on. And then under the service, there's even more. I just want to unpack some things. First of all, when we look at the beginning, we see Andrew and another. It says two disciples. Many people feel that this is actually the apostle, disciple, apostle John, who's writing the book of John. You'll find that when John writes about himself in the book of John, he's so humble he never really even mentions himself. Later on, he mentions the disciple whom Jesus loves, but he doesn't like to use his name. So very likely this is John, but that really doesn't matter. The focus here is on Andrew. And um, so what we see is that Andrew and this other Disciple, there was already significant spiritual interest in their lives. They were already following John the Baptist. They were looking for something more and they were looking to follow God and discover things. And so they were following John the Baptist. And uh, John turns. He had seen Jesus the very day before. Earlier in John, we see that. He had talked about Jesus, called him the Lamb of God then as well. Now he's just with the two. Jesus walks by and he calls him the Lamb of God. And right off the bat, my response would be, Lamb of what? You know, that does. that's not like a common term. That's not like, there goes the carpenter, you know, or there goes the... That's the Lamb of God, and instantly, the two end up following him. The Lamb, the significance there for John, and really for the whole Hebrew culture, is that... Um, The Lamb was very significant uh, in that it was a daily sacrifice set up by God back in Exodus 29 for the Hebrews. There was an annual sacrifice to try to atone for the sins of the whole nation for the year. But literally in the morning and in the afternoon of every single day, a Lamb was sacrificed. And this was a part of not taking away sin, but covering sin. Just a regular sacrifice that would appease God's wrath in a sense. And so um, the Lamb of God here was very significant. In fact, the time that this happened, it was just before that Afternoon, late afternoon, evening sacrifice, and so there would be a connection that would make sense to Andrew and this other disciple uh, in this process. Two perfect lambs were sacrificed; it had to be perfect. And so, John calling Jesus, um, John the Baptist calling Jesus the Lamb or the Lamb of God, is really pointing out his perfection pointing out the fact that he is a sacrificial lamb of what jesus was going to do and uh, also that it's an act providing access to god jesus came to give us full and complete and free access to god completely and so all those things were loaded in this behold the lamb of god that would say something to them by the way i want to let you know in your outline if you want to take any notes there's not much space That here, as we cover these passages, I'll be giving you some information. And if you want to, you've got little margins or the backside or upside down or wherever you want to figure out those things. But there's not a whole lot of fill in the blanks right here. But if something hits you, go ahead and jot it down in the process there. Um, So they follow him. And really, this is more than just idle curiosity, like I'm going to trail and see what happens. They start following him. And, uh, and it becomes, uh, it's an interesting uh, step that they take. You know, you almost start stalking him in a sense, you know. And, uh, uh, but really, again, more than idle curiosity, Jesus turns to them and asks questions. And if they're just kind of curious, they run away. But at this point, they respond. And they even respond with a term that really means master. You know, this whole rabbi, teacher, master, there's a desire for something more. And they dig in. Now, when they ask where he's staying, they're not just curious. Are you staying at the Holiday Inn or the Best Western? Thank you very much, and leave. This is really a, can we go be where you are? Can we interview you? Can we spend time with you at wherever that you're staying? And so that's really a bold statement that they're digging in with. They want to spend time with him. Now, this is telling because the person that's doing this is Andrew. And when we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, we find out that Andrew is not Peter, Andrew is Peter's brother, and he's, you know, Peter, we know him for being big and strong and loud and all those stuff, and Andrew's really more of the wallflower. He's kind of quiet, defers to big brother. So the fact that he's pursuing Jesus, the fact that he's asking to do this is really a a good thing, a significant thing to say, hey, for whoever that I am, I, I want more, whatever that might be. So they come and they see, they listen. The Bible says it's at the 10th hour. That's most likely 4 o'clock, 4 p.m. The 10th hour measured in that culture by sunrise about 6 o'clock. So 10 hours after 6 o'clock puts you at 4 p.m. in our time. And it says he stayed the day with him. And uh, actually in the culture and the language, it implies it could have been just a couple hours or actually could have been because the day was so short and overnight and the next day. Which again we'd say, I don't know that I want an uninvited guest spending the night at my house, you know. Can we come can we find out where you're staying? Sure, come over for dinner and spend the night. You got your sleeping bag? You know, or whatever through the process. But whatever amount of time it was there, it was enough, and whatever happened, it was enough for Andrew to really get convinced of significant things because he ends up with very quick, full faith. Now it's striking to me when he speaks to his brother Peter that he says, you know, Uh, I'm I'm on the wrong page here on that. He calls him the Messiah. He says, we found him. We found the Messiah, which means Christ. Now, right, you know, multiple years later, three years later when Jesus is being crucified, right before then, the disciples still seem to be very confused about who Jesus is as they journey with him. Who are you? They keep asking. And yet here at the beginning, Andrew, after his one, even if it's a couple hours, is like, we found the Messiah. And so there's some big faith that's developed very quickly in him. Andrew, the first thing it says that he does is he brings his brother to Jesus. It's the first thing because it's important to him. Jesus sees Simon, Andrew's brother, and he sees more in Simon and more for Simon than what, than what Simon sees in himself. You see, he really knows Simon and he changes his future. He changes his very identity to Peter You see the word cephas, as it says here, that's Aramaic. In the Aramaic language for um, rock, it means rock. The Greek is petros, or in English we call that... Peter, so all, this is not three different people, so Cephas, Petros, Peter is all the same person depending upon which language. I just got back from Mexico with a spring break trip here uh, with a bunch of uh, wonderful t- Mexico team members, and they could call me Juan or John, and they weren't talking about two different people, right? It's as simple as that, so I don't want you to get confused but, but what's here in in the process. All of it means the rock, and, and later on, Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church. He was really pointing out that this is a significant leader early on uh, in terms of what God has planned for him a final curiosity for me here is that Jesus looked at Simon and knows him and Simon was a very common name in the Hebrew language from the Hebrew Simon and it it means listen and the more I thought about it the more it made me laugh because Simon Peter was not a great listener was he if you know about Peter at all, Simon would speak before he thinks, let alone listen. He was the one who would charge in, and, and Jesus is like, easy, bud, you know, over and over again. So, so Jesus sees Simon, listener, and says, boy, that's not who you are. Not only are you not a listener, and by the way, you can work on that, buddy. You're the rock. This is something more significant. And I believe in the same way that Jesus looks at Simon and sees in him more than he sees himself, he does that for you too. Like even as a sideline here for today, right where you sit today, Jesus looks at you and he says, I see more in you and more for you than you see for yourself. And I want to invite you into that adventure, into that adventure, because that's part of what's going on here. So this was an encounter Jesus had with several men and it changed them now, Jesus' actual calling of these men came later. Okay, this is an encounter that they have, and we find out in the other Gospels, we find out later, the story is as Jesus is going by the, by the water, by the lake, he sees the fisherman and says, leave your nets, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." That's the calling part. Well, that wasn't the first time they met Jesus. They'd spent time with him that we see here. This is an encounter. You see, every encounter with Jesus has the possibility to change you if you're open to it. So this was a time that preceded the actual calling of them, but it was significant just the same and opened their eyes to huge and vast calls there. Um, The road to adventure was paved there. Well, I want to read the second half of the passage now. It's picking up at uh, verse 43 in John 1 because now there's another encounter here the very next day. So verse 43 begins this way. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, "'Follow me.'" (laughs) Simple. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. (laughs) That's a mouthful. (laughs) Nathanael said to him, to Philip, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Well, come and see. So Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael says to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? (laughs) You will see greater things in these. And Jesus then said to Nathanael, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So here again is another passage that um, has some very plain things, and it has some confusing things in it, even more than the first, uh, because you start seeing, especially when you start coming to the things like the fig tree and stuff, I don't know if it's ever made total sense to you about what's going on here, but I want to help you understand what very likely is happening. First, we see this. Jesus went and found Philip. John the Baptist pointed Andrew and the other people towards Jesus, said, there goes, and he follows. Andrew goes and gets Peter and brings him to Jesus. Both of those came to Jesus. This one's different. It says, Jesus found Philip, and uh, it's a very different situation. Jesus sought him out, called him very specifically, so Jesus works in a number of different ways. Now, this is, uh, it says here where they are in Bethany, it says, the section starts, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and then off he says, come say, to say, come follow me. He mentioned Bethsaida. They mentioned all this stuff. I want to throw a map up so you can kind of see what we're talking about. The circle towards the bottom in the right is Bethany. That's the Bethany on the Jordan River. There's just to the left of it, right next to Jerusalem, down and to the left, there's another Bethany, uh, a more notable city. That's not the one we're talking about. Bethany, this is where John the Baptist is, the circled one. He's baptizing in the river and all that. It's about 70 to 80 miles up to that Galilee region up there, the bigger circle up to the left. You see the arrow going up there. That's my attempt to say this is a. Journey that they're going to take. Now, around that's the Sea of Galilee up at the top. Around to the right at about one o'clock, if that lake was a clock, you see Bethsaida. I underlined that in red. That's the city that Philip is from. Also, uh, Peter, Simon Peter, and Andrew. So they're very familiar with that area. I throw that up there because sometimes we just see names and it means nothing to us. But there's a couple reasons. One, to say they're way down here with John the Baptist. Jesus is basically coming up to someone he's probably never met and says, come follow me on a 70 to 80 mile journey. It's going to be hot. It's going to be dusty. We're going to walk, of course, in our sandals and robes, and hopefully we'll have some food. It'll be a lot of fun. You up for it? You know what I mean? And, you know, for whatever reason that Philip's down there, maybe he's away from home for a reason because his, you know, his, I don't know, his parents are bugging him or something. Who knows? But, you know, basically we're going to go back around to where you are. And so that's a pretty significant journey that Jesus is basically inviting him on. And uh, Bethsaida around the side, that actually means that it's city of fishermen. And that makes sense because here we have all these fishermen that we know, Peter and Andrew, et cetera, that are there. But that's just tucked around the corner. And so there's some things that get us started. House of fishing is Bethsaida. Now, whatever happened between Philip and Jesus is huge because I don't know if he just walks up and says, follow me, and that's all Philip needs, but he does go to Nathaniel, and I'm going to call him Nate because Nathaniel keeps getting lost, so it's going to be Phil and Nate mostly, okay? So you understand where we're going. Whatever happened was huge because Phil then runs over to find his friend Nate to tell him about Jesus. Now, with his discussion with Nate, we can, see, uh, we can tell a lot about Nate, actually, we can find out that he's a, scholar, he's a close friend of his, but he's a scholarly man, as Phil used Old Testament references to entice him. That was a mouthful. Whereas Andrew went to Peter and said, we found the Messiah. Here, Philip goes to Nathaniel and says, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And you're like, what? You know. He knows that Nathaniel's a very scholarly man. He really is into the Old Testament scripture. He reads a lot. He memorizes. So he's going to entice him by saying, hey, all those verses you've memorized and those things you're looking for, he starts enticing with this, the bread and butter, Nate's bread and butter, what's right there in front of him. And uh, so right off the bat, you know, when he says Nazareth, Nate says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, and he kind of pulls the attitude. And from this, we can really see in several other sections here. We can see in Nathaniel that he's probably skeptical. He's cautious. He maybe has a negative bent to him. You know, he's not that optimist. Yeehaw, we can do all things. But kind of like you see him folding his arms, like, well, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, like, why bother here through this whole process? And we can see that about him. But he still comes because I believe Philip really just grabs him by the robe and says, come on, you got to check him out. Now, this whole under the fig tree thing. He comes up, and Jesus mentions the whole no deceit thing, and then under the fig tree and all that stuff can get kind of confusing. Here's what I want to understand. I want to kind of help unpack that whole section. When you use the term under the fig tree, that was used to describe someone in those days who was meditating on Scripture. Okay, whether you were literally or figuratively under the fig tree, if you were a man of the of the Word, not necessarily like a priest, you know, in the robes and stuff, but someone who, who loved God and loved that, you'd read the Bible... Under the fig tree or you would memorize and then you'd go sit under a fig tree and meditate and that was an area They'd give you space and so it was known if you were under the fig tree You were meditating give them some space. You're spending time with god. You're diving into some deep thoughts Does that make sense? So you wouldn't know that when you read this like what's the fig tree, but that's what's what's there Culturally what's happening there in this process there So nate we know was a serious student of the old testament scripture. We know that because of philip's appeal to him We know that because of Jesus' words about the fig tree, and Jesus is affirming that to Nate. So Nate's right off the bat going, well, how do you know that about me? Okay, this is what's kind of underlying there. And um, now Nate's whole thing when he mentions that, when he just comes off, and I believe, you know, and he throws it out there, that sounds to me like, (laughs) how did he get there so quickly? Why did this skeptical, scholarly man believe so quickly in just a few words? Well, here's a real possibility. It doesn't say this in the Bible, but I'm gonna give you my reasons behind it, see if it makes sense to you. Um, First of all, you know, Jesus says to him, the whole word about deceit gets him like, what is that? Here comes someone with no deceit. Then he saw me under the fig tree. Wait, he saw me before I met Philip, before I even met him. He would know me. You see what I'm saying? All of a sudden kind of a, Okay, well, this is kind of weird, you know, in, in this process, um, and very likely then Nate was reading or meditating on the Book of Genesis and on the story of Jacob, who's one of the early, kind of the patriarchs, one of the founding fathers of the Hebrew nation that God called to be used in a in a historical, very key way. Now, Jacob, this forefather Jacob, is called the Deceiver. Okay, he's a guy who stole his brother's birthright. He was used by God powerfully, but he was not a picture-perfect guy. And so he's known as the deceiver, someone who used deceit in his life a lot. And so, so interesting, if that's true, that he has been meditating on Scripture, and specifically Jacob, when Jesus says, here is one in whom there is no deceit, that was the first thing. He's like, deceit, Jacob. Hmm. Then when Jesus says, I saw you sitting under the fig tree, he knows I'm studying Jacob, and he says that the whole thing starts coming together for him. He knows so much about me, he couldn't possibly just know this. This has to be, this has to be the, the, the guy. You know what I mean? This has to be the one. And, and I believe you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus saying Nate has no dece- deceit again would tell Nate that Jesus knew what he was meditating on and, and work on that. And, and it implies that Jesus knows exactly where Nate was in head and heart. Okay. One more piece of evidence for that, if I didn't lose you. Jesus' last words when he says, You believe because of the fig tree comment? And then he says, Truly I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, because you'll see greater things. And again, if you've ever read this passage before, it almost feels like, Okay, next. Very telling. If Jacob's involved, the deceiver, have you heard of the expression Jacob's ladder? Even if you, Actually, what that is, that's a, st- a story in Genesis, is Jacob is traveling through the wilderness to go eventually get his wife and continue with life. God gives, wakes him up in the middle of the night and gives him a vision. It says he's sleeping with his head on a rock, so that tells you what kind of guy he is. He's out in the wilderness, <laughs> head on the rock. God wakes him up and gives him a vision of heaven and an, a stairway to heaven and angels coming up and down with God at the top. Okay, that's the proverbial Jacob's ladder that's going on. Gee, if if indeed this makes sense to you, Jesus is now saying to Nate, hey, you're not a deceiver, implying and Jacob was. By the way, Jacob saw angels going up and down with God at the top. You're going to see angels coming up and down with the Son of Man, the Son of God at the bottom. In essence, you're going to have a greater revelation than even Jacob did. You're going to see things that even this very famous huge figure in Hebrew history than even he did. All that is potentially and probably wrapped into this piece of scripture when in the past you might just read through it and go, okay, fig tree and angels up and down, whatever. Basically, Jesus calls Nathaniel. Jesus knows that Nate needs some big convincing to follow him because perhaps of his negativity, his skepticism, or whatever, and he gave him, he gave him exactly what he needed to answer his question so that he could engage fully with Jesus. Important things. So Jesus offers them a life of adventure, and and although they don't know what exactly he was calling them to, let's think about it. So Jesus sought out Phil, who most scholars think was the road manager of the disciples, if we could put it that way, you know. We see from other scripture passages, oftentimes he's in charge of the supplies or even the money, you know, and so those things going on. He's his ultimate practical guy, down-to-earth, sensible, and Jesus is calling him. He had a bit of the hobbit in him. You know, that's Phil. Jesus also called Nathaniel, who was called in Scripture also Bartholomew. If you're one who gets confused by the names, again, two different, that's one of the 12. He seems to be, again, a bit of a skeptic, a scholar, a studious man, maybe a bit of a hobbit himself in terms of the adventure quotient because he's a a cerebral kind of guy. But you see, encounters with Jesus offer hope, and they very often offer changed lives and an adventure, sometimes exciting adventure, sometimes stretching and uncomfortable adventure. (laughs) But he doesn't just offer it to the adventurous in spirit. That's important to note that. Jesus also says that after choosing to follow him, if you stay the course, you won't come back the same. Because I love that line from the book and from the movie there when Gandalf says, if you do this, your life won't be the same. You won't come back the same. Okay, well, we've taken a bunch of time to unpack this passage. It's time to move from these four men and take a look at ourselves. What does God have to say for each of us today? I would say this to you. How do you respond when you encounter Jesus? What do you do when Jesus calls you? Now, some of you really need to fill in a few blanks right about now. (laughs) You're like, this is Twin Cities. I haven't filled in one blanket. So flip your outline over there. Here's a few to make up for all that, okay? We're kind of wrapping up. This is application, but I, I did feel like I needed to give some of you your fix, your Sunday morning fix, so here we go. Jesus calls you, and you could put write your name in there if you want. Jesus calls you to a new life, to a greater life, to something more, even adventure. And the question is, how will you respond? That's Jesus' call, to something more, to adventure, however that's defined. This encounter with Jesus may be his invitation for some of you today to follow him for the first time starting today. You know what I mean? You've come to church, maybe it's your first time, but you're here and you've, you've not yet grabbed a hold of, yeah, I want to follow this guy. Um, this makes sense. I want to receive his new life, his eternal life, his forgiveness. I wanna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for this thing. And if that's the case, I would encourage you to take him seriously today. You know, the offer stands for him, but today is the best time to grab a hold of that. But I'll say this. For many of you, you've made that choice sometime in the past. And for you, Jesus is saying, sure, you gave your life to me once upon a time, Are you willing to answer my call to you today? See, we in the West, we like to do that. I prayed that prayer, it settled. Well, I never see in scripture where Jesus says, just pray this prayer and that's it. He says, follow me, follow me. It's not a one-time thing. It's continue to follow me. Life with Jesus is life with Jesus. It's walking and living with Jesus. And that's really what the call is. You know, know, are you willing to answer Jesus' call today to live life closer to him? You see, Jesus' call isn't just trying, isn't just again to the one time salvation prayer, it's the ongoing, active, daily relationship. Things like this, are you ready to be more of a witness at work? That's a call that God would make in your life. Are you ready to respond to his call to live with more integrity in all things? To change your media habits so God can be more glorified through your mind and your time. Are you ready to respond to his call to serve others in ways that may not be convenient and comfortable? You know, but exactly mirror what Jesus did here on earth And on and on it goes as to what god may be calling you to as a follower of jesus Are you going to follow him and answer his call? He does give you a call and, and there's a couple of ways you can choose to respond Not all of them are good, but he's going to let you do it. First of all, how will you respond? You can turn away Turn away That's an option. That's right there. You know i've heard the call and there's no way that's what I want doesn't look like fun <laughs> Doesn't sound good. That's your option Jesus is not going to make you respond to his call. He's not going to do that. He loves you too much. Secondly, you could choose to follow with mild curiosity, but then bail out when it gets tough. We see that in Scripture all over the place. You know, Jesus was 12, and then he had 50 and 100 and hundreds, and sometimes it was thousands. But boy, when the miracle stopped or the free food wasn't there and things got tough and challenging, it was like, I'm out of here. Done deal, right? Um, next... <laughs> The next opportunity, how are you going to respond? Wade in or dive in, ready for more? In other words, I'm going to take that step. Now, wading in and diving in are two different things, aren't they? You know, you may be the person that, like, the water's cold and I'm not quite sure about it, and you kind of stick your toe in, I need to get used to it and kind of wade in. Or you may be the person that says, I'm just going to go for it, right? That's me. I don't want to wade in, it's too cold, just get into it, right? Now, here's the deal. One's not better than the other. We often would say, "Oh, the person who dives and jumps in, but you know that person's all that waiter, they're kind of catch this, because you may be a waiter or a diver." Both the waiter and the diver get wet, don't they? It's not how you do it. God made you different. You process different. But the waiter or the diver says, "I'm going to go get wet," right? Okay, so that's for you to understand and to kind of process through that. Andrew was probably a waiter and Peter a diver. <laughs> Wait or dive, here's the, key. here's the key if you want to do this. Regardless of your personality or life details. Regardless of your personality or life details. Here's what I mean by that. Well, sure, you know, he can do it or she can do it, but they're, they're younger, they're older, they're this, they're that. Regardless of your age, regardless of your gender... Regardless of your giftedness, what your gifts are, how many gifts you have, regardless of your intellect, regardless of whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, Jesus is calling you. He's not calling just the person four seats away from you, right? It's not that. And I say, you know, that person, well, they've got more gifts, or well, they've got more time, they've got more. That, you know, it isn't that. It's you. He's calling. And by the way, he is calling that person four seats away too. But not any more than he's calling you. It's right there. It's personal. Regardless, regardless of your personality or your life details. Also, he's calling you. He asks you to wait or dive in regardless of your adventure quotient. I love putting fill in the blanks of words you never would write in at church. Quotient is a classic, right? Regardless of your adventure quotient. You may be an adventurer or you may be a hobbit, right? But will you answer his call? Because he offers you hope. He offers you something that will change things. I want you to understand that he may not make it clear to you where that call will lead. But even if you are unsure of the call, you can be sure of the caller. I'm pretty sure that Philip and Nate and Peter and Andrew didn't know exactly where Jesus was going to call them. Well, where exactly well Jesus, hold on, like, but after the first week, where then? Just come follow. I don't know about the call for sure, but I do know about the caller. If I'm sold out to the caller. I'm going to follow. I don't need to know all the details. I'd like to know, but that's where they are, and that's where God would say, put your confidence in the caller as he calls you. And lastly, as you respond, will you bring someone else on the adventure? Will you bring someone else on the adventure? I'm struck by that. Andrew did it. It was the first thing that he did. Peter, my brother. Philip did that with a good friend. I found something so important, so life-changing, I've got to share with someone that I care about. And my, my question to you is, will you bring someone else? Is there someone that you care enough about that you can share this free gift that, that God has offered to each one of us? And it's really loving them enough to say, I just want to pass on the information, pass on the gift, what's there. Who can you invite into the journey with Jesus I want to wrap up this time today, uh, our time together today, by asking that final question. And I don't give you the fill in the blank on this one. This is for you. It says, finally, what is Jesus calling you to today? Now, I find that this is, in fact, I do it too. This is a time when I go, oh, cool, that was a good message. What's for lunch? And it goes to the side. Because I'll process that later, you know, or it's kind of personal. Don't put your outline down. Don't put your pen down. You take a moment and say, God, what are you calling me to today? Today? and you write something, and you don't worry about the person next to you copying or peeking at you. Because I believe God is calling you to one or more things today. It may be that first-time call. It may be a response. It may be be any number of things. But for us to hear about these four men and go, wow, that was cool. Wow, you know, I really learned a lot today or whatever, and not say, but how am I going to respond? How am I going to be a Peter or an Andrew or a Phil or a Nate, four very different men and interact with Jesus and discover a life of adventure on his terms that work for me. And I don't want to miss that. I don't want to be the hobbit that movie was very short because I didn't respond. I want to say I don't know the call in detail, but I want to know that caller, and I'm going to follow. Would you pray with me? Father, thanks for today. Thanks for loving us. And thanks for issuing that call because you love us. God, I'm just overwhelmed by that. And I just pray right now that you touch each one of our hearts, Father, whether this is a first-time call that you're giving to some people here today. um, And if that's you, you simply just respond to Jesus with your whole heart. Ask for his forgiveness. Put your trust, your faith, your belief in him, and ask him to lead your life, and he will not lead you astray. It's as simple as that. But if you've prayed that prayer already, God would desire you to take a step and to respond to his call with faith. And God, I just pray that you would reveal that to us, encourage us, embolden us, because adventure will look different in each one of our lives, God. But I want that for myself. I want the more. I want what you want, God, whatever that adventure may be. I pray that for each person here in Jesus' name, amen.